Jim, we found the other clicker, so let me put it back up here. So we are good now. I'm like, I put the clicker down on my first pew, like I always do, and I said, where's my clicker? <laughs> As I'm sitting there. So we have the clicker. I was going to have you guys look for it. As we get here this morning, we think about uh, this lesson. You know, that's the hardest part of probably being a preacher. Charles, would you agree? One of the hardest parts of being a preacher is trying to figure out what to preach on 52 times a year. And there's so many different topics, right? And so there's something that, uh, that, has, I, that I've noticed more and more as of late. And if you look on the screen behind me, what does it say? Slow to wrath. Slow to anger. Do you think we have a problem in society right now with uh, those two uh, commands, right? To be slow to wrath, slow to anger. I mean, think about it. You see it in the school systems, right? Uh, you see it in the workplace. You see it in the family unit. You see it in the, you know, in the military. You see it in the government. You see it in really all aspects of society where anger and wrath are being displayed uh, in definitely unchristian ways by even Christians sometimes, and obviously worldly ways by worldly people because they know not better. But I've often heard it said, and something that we really have to kind of keep in mind is, people have said, well, we could display righteous anger because Jesus displayed righteous anger. You go back and you study the Old Testament, it said God has displayed righteous anger, so it gives us the, the, the freedom to express ourselves in, in a righteous way. There's something I want you to consider here this morning. I wonder how many of us have, 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 have kind of uh, messed up the translation there. I wonder how many of us have looked at that and tried to justify our own actions because of what we see Jesus do in the temple. How we've seen Jesus speak to the, uh, to the Pharisees. You see, brethren, when we look at the scriptures here this morning, it's going to be a scripture-heavy sermon. If you don't want me to, uh, if you don't want me to go through and, uh, or if you don't want to write them all down, you could uh, send me your email, text it to me, write it down, and I'll email you the, 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 the sermon in its entirety if you'd rather just follow along instead of trying to bounce around. Because I'm going I'm to kind of rapid-fire some scripture here this morning. Because there's, I want you to see a, a common theme as we go throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, when it comes to the wrath of God. Uh, you know, you read the book of James. Most of us have read the book of James. It's a very practical, well-thought-out book uh, delivered to us by James, the, uh, the, the half-brother of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who guided him. And in that book, in chapter 1 and in verse 19 and 20, there's three warnings that he gives us. There's the warning to be quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to, ring, uh, slow to anger, slow to wrath. And I wonder how many times we really stop and consider the ideas of being quick to hear and slow to speak. How many times would that help us in life, uh, in our relationship with our children, in our relationship with our employers, in our relationship with our children, with our, to our teachers, in our relationship to, well, fill in the blank, how many times would it benefit us if we truly would be slow to speak? Right? Quick to hear and slow to speak. Brethren, when we become angry, it is of utmost importance that we are slow to speak. Why, do we, why would I say that it's important to, uh, to make sure that we are slow to speak in the times when we become upset, we start to become agitated? Anybody here ever say anything foolhardy? Anybody here ever start to get a little agitated and then they start to just kind of spew venom? And they're not even thinking. They're not quick to hear and slow to speak. They're quick to reply, not even hearing what the individual has to say because you want to get your point across. And so many times we become 
quick to speak and not slow to speak. And so I want us to look at scripture here this morning because it's going to be a scripture heavy sermon. Because we need to understand also in the beginning in the book of James in chapter 1, it says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And yet, in Christian circles, oftentimes we'll try to justify anger and wrath. We'll try to justify our anger and wrath because we'll say, well, Jesus became angry. And, uh, and so we'll use that as a, maybe sometimes a, a justification or an example for us to do the same thing. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in the first passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Did the Apostle Paul say, allow these things to fester? and to uh, really, uh, it, it really embrace these things? Or did he say, take the wrath, take the amor, uh, the clamor, take the, the slander, and put them away from you? Right? He didn't say, allow them to fester. He says, remove them. And we know that in Paul's instructions, it mirrors the instructions that James received also from the Holy Spirit, since they both were guided by the Holy Spirit of God, that we are to remove these things from ourselves. Paul's go, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, not only are we to remove bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, remove those things from ourselves, but we are to replace them and add kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, gentleness, love, those are the things that we should be focused on, not on because somebody wronged us in some way and I want my revenge. Brethren, our mindset and our speech should always be to try to encourage and to build one another up. So I think of another passage of scripture here this morning in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 6. The scriptures tell us this morning, let your speech always be with what? Grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how each and every one of us should respond in any really given situation. So brothers and sisters, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, these are qualities that are needed, especially in times of trials. Do you think we're living in divisive times right now? Is the country divided? Is Christendom divided? Right? Are we starting to see how we're starting to revert back to the times of judges? To where this country is starting to do whatever man seems to think and feel is right in his own mind. And this we do. That is what the, the Israelites were doing during the times of Judges. They decided to, instead of to heed the word of God, each one was doing as he seemed fit in his own eyes. You guys remember that scripture we always talk about, right? There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death. And yet, we then want to do, what do we want to do? We, don't, we want to get rid of the moral absolutes. We want to get rid of the word of God. We want, to get, we want to make people feel foolish for even believing in the word of God because we want to be able to think for ourselves. We want to be able to dictate what is right and wrong. We want to be able to dictate uh, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable based on our feelings, based on our emotions, based on our hearts. And yet the Bible says those who trust in their heart are fools. But hey, let's go ahead and trust in our heart anyways. You see, brethren, when we look at the scriptures here this morning, we need to make sure that we humbly and calmly be receptive to the word of God in all areas of our lives. If we calmly and humbly accept the word of God and allow the word of God to transform our minds, to transform our lives, and to transform our, our character, our, our mindset, our speech, brethren, you're going to see great changes that will be taking place in your life. 
As God's representatives to mankind, we must conduct ourselves in a manner that is pleasing to the Father. Amen? And so this morning, we're not going to focus on all three of the warnings that we see in James 1 and 19 and 20, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger and wrath. We're going to focus in on anger and wrath here this morning because it's a problem that we have in society, but I'm also here to tell you it's a problem we have in the church. How many Christian marriages are struggling because of the lack of control when it comes to the tongue, lack of control when it comes to anger and wrath and, and, and fill in the blank? And so we're going to examine anger and wrath because too often in Christian circles, we start to look at anger and wrath as something that is kind of like more of a minor sin. I mean, we know it's a sin, but it's more of a minor sin because we see, hey, Jesus got angry. God got angry with the Jews. And so obviously, you know, we could get angry because we could use the idea of righteous anger. Well, brethren, we're going to look at that here this morning because I'm pretty sure most of us have missed the point when it comes to anger in the scriptures. And we start with anger. Let's look to define the word. Simply speaking, anger is a lingering or seething emotion. Well, what about wrath? Wrath is the sudden outburst of, of, of passionate anger. Today we would call that blowing off a little steam. Anybody ever blow off a little bit of steam? That is the idea of wrath, right, when you study it out in Scripture. I want you to look at what the Scriptures have to say in the Old Testament, and we're only going to look at maybe a half dozen, but they're very short passages. I'm going to rapid-fire them at you right now. It'll only take a minute. But then we're going to look at a few passages in the New Testament. I want you to see if there's a theme here. In Psalm 37, and verse 8, it says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to sin. So is that endorsing anger, or is it saying that we should flee from anger? We think about uh, Proverbs 14 and 17. A quick-tempered uh, uh, quick man acts foolishly, and a man, uh, a man of sinful devices is hated. I think of the next one, Proverbs 14 and 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but who, uh, he who is quick-tempered exalts foolishness. You look at the next one, Proverbs 15 and 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. There's another one, Proverbs 16 and 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who controls his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Last one, Old Testament. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Oh, that's not the right one. Uh, Proverbs 19 and 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, guess what? You're going to have to do it over and over and over again. And so, brothers and sisters, is there a common theme there as you just quickly looked at those passages of Scripture? Is God endorsing the anger of man? Or is he saying how foolhardy we are in our anger? You can see the very clear uh, de depiction of how God uh, addresses anger and wrath in the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament? Well, there's a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans that I really believe that oftentimes we forget there. Because when we become agitated or upset, it's usually because somebody has offended us or maybe somebody that we care about. And so we want revenge. We want to get back at them. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, what does it say? It says, do not take your own revenge, beloved, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. God is the avenger of those who offend you. God is the avenger of those who would upset you or agitate you. You are to leave it in God's capable hands. And so I say all that to say because 
If you look at every aspect of life, you could see all the different things that anger us, that agitate us, and we, we could see how often we would respond. And ask yourself, do you respond in a manner that is sinful, or are you responding in a manner that is righteous and holy? And what's the difference between God and his holy uh, righteousness and man's? We're going to look at that here this morning because there's a vast difference between the two. Remember, when we think about anger, Ephesians 4 and 31 said, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, evil speaking, let it be put away from you. And then in similar sense, in Colossians 3 and 8, the Apostle Paul said to the people of Colossus, but, no, but now you yourselves are to put all of these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. So having said all that, Having looked at some Old Testament passages, having looked at New Testament passages, and there's many more that speak about this. But having looked at that, Paul seems to concede, though, also in Ephesians 4 and 26, that there may be a time for anger. And it comes in Ephesians 4 and 26. And it says, be angry. So he says, be angry. But when he gives the admonition to be angry, he also says, do not sin. And how many times do we become angry and yet sin? And so, is Jesus' righteous, uh, righteous anger the same as the righteous anger that we, as fallible, uh, weak, and sinful human beings, display? And the answer would be a resounding no. So be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your sin. Brethren, on several occasions, you read, through the, you read through the New Testament. And the scriptures tell us, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, is just one example, that Jesus goes in, he starts flipping over the tables, Right? He starts flipping over the tables and see, people say, see, even Jesus showed righteous anger. Uh, righteous anger. We see in Matthew chapter 23, as just one example, how Jesus expressed anger towards the hypocritical scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jew. And they say, see, that justifies me also showing anger in such a manner. And so in both Testaments, brethren, we have scriptures that show God as a God of love, but we also have scriptures that show God as a God of anger. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile the passages of Scripture that seem to say that when you display anger, when you display wrath, you're displaying foolishness and foolhardiness versus the Scriptures that seem to show God, Jesus, and even Christians may be angry at times. So how do we reconcile it? Well, it's all about digging into the Scriptures. How often do you hear the preacher or the elders or the teacher in a, in a biblical setting talk about keeping things in context? Understanding the context, understanding who's speaking and who's doing the speaking, right? So first and foremost, is there a vast difference in God and me? Is there a vast difference in God and you? What is that difference? Some would ask, well, what's the difference? If God can display righteous anger, why can't I? Well, it's very simple, brethren. You're a fallible, sinful uh, human being. God is holy and righteous, all-knowing and all-powerful. Is there a difference between God and man? And I believe you should all say amen. You look at the scriptures. God's anger is always just. It's always a just reaction to the evil, to the sin in which he became angry about in the first place. We've been studying Romans on Wednesday night. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 is actually a perfect example of that. And so you look at these scriptures, God being deity, God being divine, God being all-knowing, his wrath is never misguided. His anger is always a just reaction to the sin 
Because sin is against God. And so it's a just reaction. But I ask you, on the other hand, mankind, with all of our imperfections, is not so capable. Think about that for a minute. How many times is mankind's anger misguided? Has your anger ever been misguided? Who here has heard something and just kind of flew off the rails? And you start to respond. Gina's laughing and raising her hand. That's me. I heard something. I responded. And how many times did you respond with not having all the information? None of you? I've done it a bunch of times. How many times have we, uh, have, have we been agitated, angry, and we lash out with not having all the information? Then all of a sudden, we get all the information, and now I've got to go apologize. Now I'm filled with regret because I said something that I shouldn't have said because I didn't have all the information because why? I'm a fallible, sinful human being. And so I can't say, well, God displays righteous anger, so obviously Dave Shostak can display righteous anger because God sets the example for me in my Christian faith. No, the difference is he's all-knowing and all-powerful. He never misjudges the situation because he has all the information. So when he is, shows uh, righteous indignation, when he, shows, uh, uh, when he reacts to sin or evil, it's always a holy and just reaction. Where ours are mis of mankind's are most of the time misguided by ignorance and misunderstanding and lack of information. Brethren, and, or, and I guess you could even add in there, lack of self-control. And so, therefore, God displays wrath and anger, yes. But he does so because he has all the information. But people say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus, he gave, remember in Philippians chapter 2, he gave up the power and the glory that he had before the foundations of the world. And so he, he was a man just like us, and he showed anger. So can I show anger? What's the difference between Jesus and his fleshly state and me and my fleshly state? Isn't he still God? Wasn't the Holy Spirit with him and guiding him throughout his entirety of his ministry? Look at this next passage of Scripture. In John chapter 2, and verse 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he knew himself what was in man. Jesus knows the hearts and minds of man. He knew the thoughts of all the individuals he dealt with before he dealt with them. I mentioned in Bible study this morning, in Luke chapter 22, as we were going over the Passover, he told his disciples, hey, go set up the Passover. Well, where would you like us to set it up? And Jesus said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go into the little town. You're going to go into the little village. You're going to see a guy with a pitcher of water just strolling down the street. I want you to follow him. And when you follow him, he's going to go into a house, and I want you to follow him into the house. And when you get in there, you're going to see the master of the house, the owner of the house, and you're going to say, hey, my master, my teacher, he has need of the upper room, and he's going to provide it for you. How was Jesus able to do that? How was he able to know that in an upcoming village there's going to be a man walking with a pitcher of water? Because he's God. He's omniscient. He's deity. He has all knowledge. And so once again, God's anger is always justified as a, as a just reaction to sin. Where mankind's reaction oftentimes is not of the same uh, making. It's not of the same liking. Because most of the time we react with not even having all the information and we end up in regret and we end up in sin. Brethren, we need to realize that when we study out th these passages of Scripture, that there's another thing that we must think about. We must think about that the anger of Christ was not just for his own self-interest. When you study out Scripture, 
that Jesus, when he became angry, was he angry because he himself was being uh, unjustly treated? Was he angry because of his own self-interest? Or, or did he become angry when his father's house was defiled? Did he become angry when people spoke out against the Holy Spirit? He says, you can speak about me all you want. It'll be forgiven you. But those who speak of the, against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven you in this day, in this age, or the next. What was he talking about? Brethren, you look at those scriptures, think about it. Jesus never showed anger uh, based on self-interest. It wasn't that he was mistreated, so he became angry and lashed out. No, listen what the scriptures tell us. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and through 23. Notice what it says in regards to Jesus and his control. For you have been called to, for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leading you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Pay attention. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to, those, uh, to him who judges righteously. What did Romans chapter 12 tell us earlier, uh, earlier in the lesson that we looked at? That we are to leave revenge, leave vengeance uh, in, in the place of God. He says, for vengeance is mine, I will repay. He didn't say, get angry and get your revenge. He said, leave, the room for, leave room for the wrath of God. For God is the ultimate judge. God is the one that will repay. Not you and I, because we're fallible, emotional, sinful human beings that are going to mess it up. And we're not going to shine the glory of God as we do. Because it tells us that James, the anger, of, uh, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Do you see the difference, brethren, in God's anger and man's anger? Do you see how we shouldn't use Jesus as an example for turning over the tables, for lashing out at the Pharisees? Because he's God, and his judgments are never misguided. Brothers and sisters, we look at these scriptures here this morning. We must be very careful in casting anger and uh, comparing ourselves to God. For example, think about this. Mankind, with our imperfections, often uses our anger improperly. Amen? When we remain silent, why is it that we remain silent? When somebody, a good friend, a family member that we love, they're in sin, but we don't want to mess up the relationship. We don't want to offend anybody. So we just kind of gloss over the sin, and yet God is dishonored because of sin. And yet we just kind of look over it. But yet, if somebody offends us, man, I'm standing on the front pew ready to fight, ready to lash out, because now I've been offended. And yet... All of a sudden, we look at that, and there's a reason for it. In the world, we have what is called righteous indignation. But really, what that example is, is self-righteous indignation. You see, righteous indignation means instead of righting a wrong that was done against another, we look to only right the wrongs that were done against us in regards to self-righteous indignation. So it's not that we necessarily care about the wrongs that others have done, but as soon as you've wronged me, we got a fight on our hands. You see, brethren, that's not how Jesus conducted himself. I just showed you the scripture on the screen behind me in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 through 23. So we understand, brethren, that the wrath of God accomplishes the righteousness of God because he's just in all of his judgments. Brethren, as I get ready to close this down, 
I want to kind of close with one more passage of Scripture because following the example of Jesus Christ, there may be a place for anger, but if we do have a place for anger, it's only in things pertaining to God. Amen? If we're defending God, we're defending the church, we're defending the kingdom, we could have some righteous anger. But when it comes to ourselves or those of our friends or our family members, many times that anger is misguided and misplaced. Notice what it says in all things that as bondservants of Jesus Christ, as Christians, as representatives of, of God to the world, notice what Paul wrote to Timothy before he died. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, Paul told Timothy, the Lord's bondservant, that's talking about a Christian. Christians must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach, what does it say? Patient when wronged. Patient when wronged and not quarrelsome. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive... By doing his will. Brothers and sisters, as I shut this down, if you want a healthier marriage, you must not be quarrelsome. You must be patient. If you want a better relationship with those in the world and with your coworkers, you must not be quarrelsome and you must be patient. If you want a better relationship with your parents, you must not be quarrelsome. You better be patient. Because all throughout life, there's going to be things that are going to cause us to become frustrated. But if, you're, if you have the fruit of the Spirit called self-control, then you can be quick to hear and slow to speak. Not everything uh, always requires an immediate response. It's okay to go home and to think about it, to sleep on it, to really ask yourself, what brought this situation about? And then try to, to go and respond in a manner that is more Christ-like. Not with venom, but with trying to understand with why maybe something had come, up, come about in the first place. Stop using Jesus and God and their righteous anger as an, as an example for why we in the church get to display what we call righteous anger, even though we don't have all the information, even though we're not God and all-powerful. And even though we mess up most things we touch, stop using God as a justification for your anger and wrath. Rather than if there's anybody here this morning and you're hearing this lesson, I pray uh, that as we all think on this lesson as we leave, if you're here this morning, I pray that if you're struggling in your faith, maybe you've got something going on and you need the prayers of the church, maybe you, you got diagnosed with something, or maybe you're dealing with something uh, financially or, or emotionally or spiritually, and you want the prayers of the church, please let us know how we can help you. Your, your, your shepherds, your elders are here to help you, to guide you, to counsel you. If there's somebody here who's not a child of God, and You've been on the fence. You've been thinking about it. You've been praying about it. But you're scared. It's okay to be scared. Brethren, if you want to become a child of God, there's no better day to today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. It is not guaranteed. It's not a scare tactic. It's a fact. Go home and turn on the news. Look at how many people aren't going to wake up uh, tomorrow. If you want to become a child of God, if you want to go to heaven, it starts in the waters of baptism. It starts by being washed in the blood of Christ to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.